that experience of that beauty and that intelligence uh, creates in me a feeling of awe <laughs> and a feel a sense of connecting to something sacred. Check one, two, one, two. Is this thing working? You're listening to Rabbi Ariel Schollklapper, the wisdom and tools you need to thrive. I'm Rav Ariel Schollklapper. I'm excited to be here. And today uh, we're highlighting my good friend, Rebecca Schisler, who is going to teach with us today and we're going to learn about her today. I always like to begin uh uh, this this pro- this is a project that is beginning another sort of step in our in our growth in the in this uh, center. We're going to be I'm going to be interviewing teachers from all across the world, Jewish mindfulness teachers, and it's a really an amazing project for me. Um, the aim is for me to uh, f- what I'm hoping for is so that you can learn new things and expose you to new learning opportunities and p- other voices who are doing amazing work in this arena. And always to leave you with some kind of hands-on skill for your journey, um, not just not just some fluff. Um, so we're asking that you share with a friend. So today what we're going to do is we're going to have a practice session with Rebecca for 10 or 15 minutes, somewhere in that region. Um, and then we're gonna I'm going to interview her and you'll be able to listen. If you have any questions, you can throw those into a section down at the bottom of your screen. Let's do it. I want to open with a prayer that what what learning we unfold today can be the beginnings of or continuation of an unfolding into uh, becoming more of ourselves and so that we can shine our light into the world and that the people who surround us and feel that and uh, and see that will also be inspired and in that way we can make a small positive impact that can ripple out through the entire universe um, so that ultimately we people can uh, not have to suffer um, and that this world can be all together in love and compassion. And uh, if you want to add anything to, to that, Rebecca, I'm sure you will. Um, but I'll say amen and we'll continue. Um, make sure that if you are in, uh, that you familiar, familiarize yourself with the, the screen you can go into the Q&A section to add any questions um, and chat with any one of uh, anybody. Just make sure you write attendees and panelists because I think you have to set it to panelists and attendees if you want to chat with everybody in the group. Other than that, I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca, who uh, is a Texan girl uh, from around. Uh, so that's really uh, it's an awesome thing today. Uh, she's from the Dallas area, right? Is that true? Yeah. And um, I think I don't know where she is in the world exactly now, this today, <laughs> but but um, we met in uh, Camp Ramah in California in 2011 when we were both specialists, I think, on staff in different capacities. And we sat together pretty regularly. I think it was several times a week we would sit in the library or the dojo and sit for 20, 30 minutes together and practice uh, meditating. And uh, and I know that for me, at least, even though we weren't doing a whole lot of talking during that time, because we were sitting silently medita- meditating, that you were a partner for me in building my own practice um, and having accountability. And um, I'm excited to hear tonight about 
what you're up to and to learn from you. So I'll turn it over to you. I'm excited to hear you teach and, uh, and we'll hear about all the interesting things you're up to. Thanks, Ariel. It's such a joy. Um, just feeling so much happiness. Um, hearing you speak and sharing those memories of connecting when we were both really just starting out. I think we both sat even just maybe one or two retreats and it's really beautiful to connect almost 10 years later um, on the path as teachers. So it's really wonderful to be here and thank you for having me. Um, I'm actually in California right now. I did grow up in Dallas, uh, outside of Dallas and I'm living in Israel, but, but I'm in California at the moment. So it's great to be here. Great. So you're um, going to share with us the teaching. And if you need me to ring a bell, I've got a bell and whatever we need. Great. Just let me know. That sounds great. Um, yeah. So um, as, as Ariel shared, I um, am co-facilitating an upcoming retreat with two other wonderful teachers. And I'll share more about that later. It's a women's retreat. And the theme of the retreat uh, is we're calling it Awakening Our Joy. It's going to happen over Rosh Hodesh Adar, a little over a month from now. And so I thought I'd share a little teaching and practice around cultivating joy. Um, part of why we chose that theme is because it's a relevant theme for the month of Adar, in which we're taught that we are meant to increase our joy. Uh, another reason we chose it is that the first women's retreat we did was over Tisha B'Av, so there was a lot of grief um that we were sitting with and really just you know that was still when covid uh the coronavirus was kind of a fresh more fresh reality um last summer and there was just so much chaos and difficulty that we were practicing with um and so it felt like a really sweet kind of counterbalance about half a year later to uh work with this this theme of joy you know and the question of why why is joy what does joy and happiness and pleasurable experience have to do with spiritual practice? And I think it's actually an extremely important part of our spiritual practice and of our lives. Um, and it's not separate from the unprecedented challenges that we've all been living through over this past year. I was recently learning from an amazing psychotherapist and mindfulness teacher, Rick Hansen, uh about he, he wrote a book called hardwiring happiness and he was teaching about resilience and sharing that actually the way that we cultivate resilience is uh through pleasant feelings and joy and happiness and the more of that we have in our lives actually the more equipped we are to show up to life's challenges um so that's something that i've been thinking about a lot it's been very alive for me and I'd love to share a little guided meditation. We'll just we'll just practice together, maybe for about Ariel. What do you think? Ten minutes, fifteen minutes? What would be good? Yeah, that's that sounds great. Yeah, I think if you're at home and you're ready to sit, we'll practice for. You know, let us let her, let Rebecca guide you, and okay. uh, relax. You can relax. <laughs> you can Perfect. relax and just listen to her, and she'll take you where you gotta go. Great. Um, so one thing that that I've been practicing is this idea of basking in the good, basking in the goodness. Um, what is basking in the goodness? So basically, there's a there's a way that our brain works where when we have negative or challenging and painful experiences, 
uh, we remember them very naturally. They go into our implicit memory very naturally because we're hardwired to pay more attention to threats to our survival than we are to pleasant experiences. So that's how we're wired. There's nothing wrong with that. And it can be really good for our ability to be present in a loving way in our lives and to really uh, enjoy the fruits of our lives to also um, allow the pleasurable and wonderful experiences of our lives to have that same kind of implicit intake in our systems. And what that means though, is we might need to actually more consciously bask in feelings of goodness. Uh, so I'd like to share with you a little practice today grounded in just basic mindfulness of basking in the goodness and really allowing ourselves to soak in whatever pleasant experience uh, we may be connecting to or contacting uh, in the present. So we're gonna start with just a very basic um, kind of arriving mindfulness practice. So I wanna invite you to just relax and you can close your eyes if that's comfortable for you or you can have a soft gaze maybe just on the ground in front of you. I always find it helpful to close my eyes just to focus my awareness. And bring, bring a sense of attention to the body. See if you can find a seated posture that's upright and also relaxed at ease. And kind of, kind of a, there's a balance between alert and relaxed. And we're just gonna take some space here, allowing ourselves to fully arrive in presence, in the present moment. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. 7 p.m. in Texas, whatever has been going on today. You can just let it go just for now. Allowing this moment to be fresh and new. just as it is, just as we are. Simply arriving more fully. And find your breath somewhere in your body. So tuning into the physical sensation of breathing. Maybe you notice the cool air in your nose as you breathe in. And the rush of warm air as you exhale. Or you can feel the chest kind of rise and fall with each inhale and exhale. Or the belly. Moving up and down, in and out. You can even put a hand on the chest or the belly if that helps you to focus on the breath. So just paying attention with a gentle anchor in one of those places where you can feel the physical sensations of breathing, allowing the mind to rest there.
taking a kind interest in the simple sensations of breath. Just relaxing, just breathing. And as the mind wanders, just notice thinking is happening or a feeling, a noise, a sensation. Just notice where the mind has wandered without judgment, with kindness. And gently return to the breath again and again. Opening to this present moment exactly as it is. And we'll just take a few moments to settle the mind on the breath. Just arriving. Nothing to do right or wrong. And with the breath always in the background, the breath is your anchor. Open your awareness to include whatever other sensations are here. And see if you can name them. Perhaps a, there's like tingling in my left foot, a slight ache in my shoulder. I can sense the quality of light in the room. The sound of a machine in the distance. Just notice whatever sensations are here. And choose one sensation that's present with you that is in some way pleasurable. It doesn't have to be 
extremely pleasurable. It could even just be very slightly pleasant. Like, oh, that tingling in my foot is actually a little pleasant. There's something pleasant about that. Or the softness of the fabric of my shirt on my arm. There's something very slightly pleasant about that feeling. So it could be something very subtle. And if you're having trouble finding something even very slightly pleasant, it could be a memory of something. Maybe a really delicious food that you ate today or a beautiful sunset or, or a sweet conversation, a connection with someone. Bringing that to mind or allowing your attention to rest on that pleasurable sensation. I invite you to simply allow your attention to rest on this pleasant sensation, whatever it is. For me, just sitting here and just being in a quiet space after a very loud day is actually quite pleasant. So I'm just resting in that awareness of that pleasant sensation, that pleasant experience. And as you notice and pay attention to this pleasant experience, notice if there are any thoughts that arise. Notice if there are any feelings. How does it feel? How does it feel in the body? To just bask in something pleasant. There's no right or wrong answer, just noticing without judgment.
And if it, if there naturally emerges any sense of gratitude or whatever it is that, that pleasant experience that you're paying attention to, allow yourself to feel that gratitude. And then I invite you to just take a couple more deep breaths. And then you can slowly open your eyes. Maybe take a moment to just look around the room, notice where you are. Notice if there's anything pleasant in the room, something that's even just Nice to look at. I'm in the guest room of a, of a home I've never been in before actually right now. And it, there's a lot, of, a lot of beauty. So it feels sweet. Right, thank you so much for practicing together. Thank you. That was lovely. <laughs> it's <laughs> nice to be able to single it out, right? Once you... It's a choice what we single out. So I'm glad that you led us to the good today. While while you were teaching, uh, you asked us to after you asked us to open our eyes. I, I looked on my screen and I see because I, you know nowadays all the text messages come through the same place, and I got a text message. I'll share the screen. Uh, one of my friends just sent me this uh, from Los Angeles. Um, I, I'm assuming that this is happening currently because <laughs> so you can see. Wow. See this amazing uh, sunset happening currently. Uh, like what a what a beautiful sight. And and this is not me. I'm not even there. <laughs> but it's so nice that he could share with that with me. That's my friend Jose. Um, good. So thank you for that little bit of sweetness. I hope that uh, if you're like me, then uh, you're you hear that and you went through that exercise and you can feel a sense of uh, lightness about the day and a little bit of uh, if you were arriving in a little bit of a state of frenzy now you can feel a sense of um, hopefully uh, at least presence if not relaxed <laughs> um, and this is a tool that I'm hoping that you could use for yourselves as well right if you're practicing you can always follow down and ask yourself the question where's the slightly positive thing potentially right and and can i follow that thread and and uh, pay attention to that so thank you so much um okay so let's let, let me hear i'm excited i cause i've been thinking i've been waiting for to do this for a long time now and like you said it's been 10 years since we know each other or almost 10 years since we know each other and i want to hear you know i want to hear how you got got into this whole Jewish mindfulness where how did that start where where did all this begin for you I love that question I love answering that question um so it all began for me shortly before I met you uh, I think that was the summer of 2011 so it began for me in the winter of 2010 
I signed up for a Jewish spirituality retreat kind of on a whim. I didn't know what it was. I was a freshman in college. I was, I was uh, 18, 10 years ago. And um, my school was offering financial aid and scholarship money for this retreat. So I signed up for it. I didn't have any other plans that winter break. And it was very well-timed because I actually was going through some really tough stuff at home uh, in my family. And about a week after some really challenging stuff was happening at home, I, I happened to board a plane and go to the Pearlstone Retreat Center in Maryland for a retreat. It turned out that it was a Jewish meditation retreat, a silent retreat uh, with Rabbi James Jacobson Mizels, who runs a wonderful organization called Or Halev, as well as Yael Shai, who's another incredible teacher of meditation and Jewish meditation. Um, and I just remember a feeling of coming home when I was in that room, I, I it, for me, it was very clear quite soon. I, I was like, this is my path. Um, and this is going to be a really important part of my life. Um, it just made sense to me, like the sitting, the, the practice of sitting and paying attention to life as it is, um, to what is already here and, and allowing that awareness to really unfold. Um, made sense to me and worked for me in a profound way. I remember arriving at that retreat, feeling extremely hurt and confused and um, full of doubt and just kind of in a, in a dark place, like in a really uh, difficult place. And a week later feeling transformed, like feeling overflowing. I remember on the last morning, just utterly overflowing with gratitude. And um, just uh, a sense of self-awareness that maybe I'd never even experienced before, uh, a new sense of myself and of relating to the world that I didn't know was possible. I would describe it as like an intimacy. Uh, I think that's, that's something that we can access through meditation and through this practice of loving awareness and presence. There can be a deeper intimacy with life um, in a way that we can we can often pass by that possibility of that kind of contact and intimacy when we're in our minds a lot and moving through our lives very quickly. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say about that retreat is that um, another thing that really hit home for me was a tr my truth, which was that like God, you know, the divine is so so far beyond a concept. It's, it's not like a, is this or isn't this? I realized, oh, this is a profound reality that saturates every moment, actually. Uh, it's not an idea, you know, it's, it's what this all is. And so that was really revelatory for me. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't think you were gonna go to the God place right away, but. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's so interesting for me. I mean, yeah. I spend a good amount of my time, I feel like, tiptoeing around and not saying yeah, yeah. the G word. Totally. <laughs> because just because I don't, I want to respect and honor the fact that there's a lot of people who grow up with a different understanding of what that it concept is. And so it triggers a lot of baggage for them. And, and they, totally. they think of it in a way that I don't mean it. Um, right. So I sort of. Uh, when when you talk about it in that way, I think a lot of people would probably go, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, that that I'm into, I'm into that. Um, but but if you were to frame God in a, in probably the way that they grew up, 
right. they would be like, no, no, that I don't, you know, that I don't believe in. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, me either. <laughs> but um, so I, I sort of tiptoe around it by saying divine and things like that. But I'm curious. Um, so tell me more about. Uh, okay, so that moment happened, right? You walk away from that retreat. Did you know ahead of time you knew this is a Jewish retreat, or do you know this is just a retreat, or what did you know ahead of time? I didn't know anything. I knew it, it was advertised as a Jewish spirituality retreat, so I had no idea what I was getting into, and it was a silent meditation retreat. It was partly there was a little bit of talking because we did some text study, so it was it you know uh, Jewish text davening, chanting, Shabbat, Jewish practices and Jewish teachings, and then mindfulness meditation practice, which includes also loving kindness practices. Right. Um, and that retreat really piqued my interest. So I think I met you the summer after that retreat. Yeah. And, and then I had sat that year mm -hmm. in Israel with also with James, but with, also, oh, with okay. Jeff, with Jeff as well. And Joanna. Oh, um, beautiful. Who led a retreat in Israel in the spring of that year. And then we got to summer camp together. And so we'd both had a, a retreat, right? So I guess that, that sounds We right. both had one retreat, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, and then right after Ramah, I actually took a Greyhound bus from Camp Ramah in Ojai up to the San Francisco Bay area. And I sat a week long retreat at Spirit Rock uh, that a friend of mine in college had recommended. So that that's a Buddhist retreat center who was started by a bunch of Jews. <laughs> Uh, most notably in my books, Sylvia Borstein, who's yes. kind of like, she's just um, a beloved teacher of so many of us in this world of Jewish mindfulness. And I actually came across her teachings when I was a teenager, very unlikely circumstances. I was probably 17 and I found a book of hers in my modern Orthodox schools library. I don't know what it was doing there <laughs> in Dallas, but she wrote a book. <laughs> called that's funny you don't look buddhist and it's about her experience being both a practicing observant jew and one of the most preeminent western buddhist meditation teachers um, and i just remember reading this book when i was a teenager and i'd never experienced meditation before i didn't know anything about it or mindfulness or buddhism or anything like that but i just remember little lines and things she said that had such a uh, impact on me like one line in there she's writing about her grandmother and how she would get upset as a kid she would be sad and she'd say I'm sad and her grandmother would say there's nothing wrong with being sad you know I was like oh my god <laughs> there's nothing wrong Wait, what? <laughs> so so anyway so I I went up to spirit rock for a week-long retreat and that was a, again another just hugely impactful experience for me really important uh different it's a different experience on a buddhist yeah. retreat than on a i've Jewish heard one. colder that's what that's what people colder colder <laughs> just because there's no only because there's no davening there's just no chanting yeah. and so as opposed to a jewish retreat where there's that at least that hour and a half in the morning where you're kind of singing at the top of your lungs and you're yeah. kind of getting it out they don't have that element so I've heard. Yeah, I, I think because of all the chanting and the davening on the on the Jewish retreats and really this whole, a more devotional aspect, um, there is a lot more uh, space for expression and kind of just kind of just the warmth that so many of us have um, in connection to the prayer, praying and the the Jewish familiarity and those pieces. So yeah, they are different. They are a different experience for sure. 
So tell me, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm hearing you tell me about that you left retreat. I mean, uh, camp and went up to, uh, <laughs> to spirit rock. So that same summer I left camp and I went to the Santa Sabina retreat with Sylvia. Oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so I sat, that was my first year. Um, and I always say to people like if Sylvia was really part of that beginnings of my foundation, because that year I went up and sat with Norman Fisher and Sylvia Borstein and Jeff. Uh, and then I think Joanna didn't make it that year, but it was, um, it was like a, such a special, I mean, have you been to that retreat yet or have you been, have you, I, I dropped in one time. Okay. Uh, to, yeah. I, I went just for a day one time. If you want, if you want, I can give you the, some of the uh, recordings from this past year because they're all Zoom now, so I can share that. Right. I'm happy to do that. Um, yeah. So tell me, okay, so fine. So you went to this Buddhist uh, Jewish retreat starting your practice. Mm -hmm. You ended up going to Spirit Rock, and then uh, so where did you where did you meander then? So it's, it's been several years since I've seen you. So I'm curious what where did you go from there? Yeah, I guess in a nutshell, um, one equally important thing that I discovered at the same time as mindfulness practice, meditation practice on those retreats and even on the retreat with James and Yael was um, embodied awareness practice like yoga and five rhythms dance. Uh, I've, I would say um, I discovered those practices, like really the depth of them and what it really means to be embodied, to inhabit my body uh, in, a, in a really important way while on meditation retreat. And um, so that was a path that kind of began parallel to meditation and really is completely interwoven. I mean, mindfulness practice is an embodied, deeply embodied awareness practice. Um, and so after those two retreats, I was uh so captivated by coming into my body and like so, the idea of somatic intelligence and i started and i went back to school then i went i went back to my call at my university i went to wesleyan university in connecticut and i started to feel like i'd spent my whole academic uh life so far as a very young adult i, I started to feel like it was imbalanced um in the way of just being very neck up there's a lot of emphasis on intellectual intelligence. And I was starting to understand that there are other forms of intelligence that um, are incredible resources of really important information for us. And we don't necessarily learn how to access uh, those forms of intelligence. And I'm talking about somatic intelligence, like learning how to actually speak the language of our bodies and deeply inhabit our bodies and how that works together actually with our minds and our mental health. Um, and also emotional intelligence and even spiritual intelligence, like actually learning how to listen in a really deep way and to consider the mind, the emotions and the heart, the body, and, and even our soul to be different aspects of one system. So when I was back in college, I was feeling this frustration about that. I was like, it's, it's still all just feels so neck up. And what I'm actually feeling really captivated by is, um, exploring these other aspects of myself and going deeper into meditation also. Um, and so I ended up, I, I, I started to do a lot of retreats, like at least one and sometimes two a year and both Buddhist and Jewish retreats. I sat uh, at the, there were these gorgeous retreats for many years at Elat Chaim. And then yeah. that kind of became the Isabella Friedman retreat center with Shoshana and David Cooper. 
uh, teaching and Eliezer Sobel taught Five Rhythms Dance on those retreats. Um, I did those for a few years in a row and sat with James as well as Jeff um, and then continued going back to Spirit Rock as well as IMS on, in Massachusetts um, for the, the Buddhist retreats where I found um, an opportunity to dive really deeply into mindfulness practice specifically and like really focus on the practice itself. Um, I just found for me that there was a lot of depth there that I was able to access. Um, and then on the Jewish retreats, you know, being able to bring in the Jewish teachings, being able to bring in the chanting and the davening and the practice of Shabbat. Um, as you said, there was just so much heart that, you know, provided its own extremely important and uh, very special experience. So I was, I was really doing a lot, both of them. Um, and then when I graduated college, I, I went to India for like four months. I kind of dove deeper into uh, Tibetan Buddhist practice there. And um, yeah, made my way out to California. I lived in California for four years and I, I started teaching mindfulness in schools out in California to, to youth in like underserved schools and um also working for an earth-based Jewish organization out in California called Wilderness Taurus. That's another aspect of my spiritual path that's been really important is a uh, nature-connected earth-based approach to Jewish practice. And um, so why, why is it important to you? I mean, I'm curious what the, yeah. it sounds like clearly it made a shift on you. That first retreat really mm -hmm. some, struck something in you that made you want to keep going down this road and anybody who's been practicing a while. And I, I can see by the list of people attending that there are some people who've really practiced a while. It gets hard at times. You fall off at times, right? Your practice goes in, uh, in depth and, and less depth and, and it, and it shifts. And I'm curious what kind of, what do you think it is that has kept you engaged? Why is it so important to you still even a, a decade later? Mindfulness practice, meditation yeah. practice. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, there's something about it for me that it, it feels like it's the ground of, of everything else. Uh, it feels like the foundation. Like there's something actually about just doing nothing at all <laughs> yeah. that is applicable <laughs> <laughs> it's applicable and relevant to every single thing i experience in my life so all the the other forms of spirituality you know i talked about like earth-based nature connection and the singing and chanting and the dancing and the movement all of that i think sprouts from out of the soil of basic foundational fundamental awareness presence to whatever is happening. It's the one thing that doesn't change. Like life has changed. Everything is constantly changing. And for me, a question, I think it's like a sacred question that I carry is like, well, what is the thing that doesn't change? And I think it has to do with awareness, like that, that thing that holds it all, that no matter what it is. Um, so returning to that on a regular basis, especially in retreat practice, which I think really gives opportunity for a deeper drop in yeah you want uh, to talk about that like what's yeah the, how does that how i'm curious what your experience is i've shared a lot about the difference between practice off of retreat even if mm -hmm. it's regular 
uh, as opposed to retreat practice and tell me what you, how do you make sense of that and, and how you describe that? Yeah. Um, I think for someone who's really interested in actually fully understanding, not full, I don't know if any of us fully understand, <laughs> but, but really deeply understanding what meditation is actually about and what, what's really going on when we're practicing, I would definitely recommend retreat. Um, I just don't think that an hour or even a day is long enough to really start to see what the mind is doing and how the mind works and how our whole system is working um, to kind of keep us in our habits of perceiving life and then responding to what we perceive. So on retreat with this much longer duration of practice, there's enough time and space to really start to see what's going on in our minds and in our beings that we're then like filtering reality through. Mm. Um, and also there's enough time for the mind to, to settle a lot more. You know, our, I think in our lives, we're just inundated with information and distractions and stress factors and retreat is this kind of sanctuary of time and space where all that can fall away. Um, and the mind can start to settle. And as the mind settles, insights arise, you know, wisdom arises. Um, we start to see reality a little bit more clearly. We start to perceive more reality and not just like our interpretations <laughs> on what's happening, which is what we're often kind of inside of. Um, and it, and yeah, it really just, I think it really just takes time. Yeah. I think I gave, I gave this, uh, analogy one time because the the ac in houston is pretty much blowing from you know sometime in may until like you know maybe october it just doesn't stop it just does not even stop and so you don't you get used to the sound of the ac running and you don't you know you don't think about it until that moment when it clicks off sometime <laughs> in october or whenever then all of a sudden you're like on where am I you know it's like all of a sudden so you, quiet. what's so quiet why is it so quiet yeah. you know it's like uh it, it's like you may not even realize that that hum is going on mm -hmm. or you probably most of us do realize honestly we do we're aware we're kind of uncomfortable but when it once it clicks off you're like oh it could click off yeah oh. I didn't even know it could click off right yeah. I didn't know like, I thought that's just how you gotta I live I couldn't even imagine that there's uh, quiet underneath that sound that I didn't even realize was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I'll, and that's how I, I have described retreat and in, in terms of trying, just trying to give a sense of mm -hmm. without, without doing it, um, mm -hmm. what's possible, which is that there mm -hmm. is like you described, I think after a few days of practice, it seems to be what, like two, three days, something like that. We're always waiting for that magic time period. And then it's like, you can, I don't know. It's like a locking in kind of a thing. Um, you can notice that all of this, the kind of junk is just the buzz, the hum just mm -hmm. dro kind of drops off. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a sweet, a sweet, sweet uh, moment when that happens. Cause you can just do the work instead of being stuck all the time. Um, so I'm curious what, why start teaching? Like, what did you, what inspired that? I'm curious. Cause that's a big difference. It's different to, to just sit, then to start teaching. And I'm curious what that was like for you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, again, I think for me, it was that first retreat when I knew like this was going to be my path. I think I also probably knew then <laughs> I'm going to teach this stuff. Um, and part of that is just because I'm a teacher. It's just part of who I am. My mom's a teacher. She's a middle school art teacher. My grandmother's a teacher. Uh, so it kind of just runs in the family. It's like kind of just part of how I how I am in the world. I experience something for myself that I really love. I want to share it with others. And um, in terms, I, I part of, and I think another part of just my makeup is this: there is this deep kind of innate desire to really be of service to others and um, work towards tikkun olam, you know, to repairing the world. And I think more than anything I've ever come across, mindfulness practice is the most powerful, relevant, accessible to everyone tool. Um, I think if there's like one thing that I could really dedicate myself to sharing, it would be that because as I said, it, for me, it's like the foundation. Uh, I think it's also the foundation of every other kind of healing. Um, that's a big statement. <laughs> Maybe yeah. not every other kind of healing, but um, yeah. a, a lot of a lot of healing modalities and, and pathways of healing that I've found to be really important rest on that foundation of basic awareness practice and the ability to be present and to open uh to what is and um yeah i just think it's the most valuable tool that i've found so that's why i feel really dedicated what's, to sharing what's it. that been like sharing with i mean you, i know you started in schools mm -hmm. and now i mean you teach everybody now i think um curious what was that like with working with the littles and what what if you have anything just off the top of your head that you remember from those moments of like kids are fun I and mean, they're different to teach yeah. right because they're open and they're like a sponge and they also might ask you a question that you know really gets to the to the core of it <laughs> without meaning to be challenging or anything just cur just curiosity so I'm curious <laughs> if you have any reflections on that yeah totally um, and this is actually also quite related to the retreat that we're co-hosting next month on this theme of joy and playfulness and um, something that I loved about teaching and that I still love about teaching mindfulness and meditation to children is that, as you said, they're quite naturally curious and playful and um, something that I loved about it is that it's the exact same practice that we teach to adults, same practice same teaching, same method, just with more fun, more silliness, more games. And it's just lighter. <laughs> it's like lighter and more playful. And I started to realize actually, because I did, we did with Orha Love, we did a family retreat where we were teaching parents and children on the same retreat. It was really wonderful. And I was using some of the techniques that I was using with the kids with the parents, because I would, I would teach like the whole family together. And I started to see, oh, this approach to teaching children is actually also really good for adults. <laughs> yeah. It's actually really good for adults to experience spirituality and practice in a in a more playful, lighter way. You know, um, I think we all need that. I think as adults, sometimes not like because of our conditioning, because of the world that we live in, we, we sometimes tend to overcomplicate things or... You know, there's this sense that for something to really be deep and real, real spirituality, real healing, whatever it is, it has to be like really intense and complicated and like, you know, it has to be this like intense gravitas all the time. And it's something I'm curious about, you know, 
because um, I've seen a lot of a lot of success in bringing that approach to practice um, to working with adults actually as well. I love that. I love yeah. that because it's uh, I think about uh, Rabbi Eddie Feinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you, you, he was in Dallas during when you were growing up? Is that true? Maybe possibly or the you name is very familiar. The yeah, name so is very, he was very in Dallas. He was in Dallas, I think, while you were growing up. And um, he he's talked about how he would start telling stories to the kids and they loved it. And then one day he kind of just as like a he had a bad day or something. And he just told a story to the to the adults. And they were like, why are you giving us sermons? We want to hear a story. <laughs> we also want to hear a story, you know. So it's just interesting that we assume certain things are good for just for kids, right? In games and in that, interacting in that way or stories. But we all were, there's all like a little kid inside all of us. I think if yeah. anything, the value of the way that you're uh, thinking of it in that way is such a gift to the, to all of us because we also need to start, you know, lighten up a little bit. Okay. You know what? We're still, when we look at kids, I, I have a young little one is a year and nine months now. And so I look at him and I think this is just a little version of, what will become uh, full, full grown, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I hope that you don't lose that, that mm-hmm. sense of bubble and that sense of just when you hear a song on, you have to dance, right? There's like, if music is on, let's dance. Um, so I think that there's something to that of bringing it back purposefully into our practice. And I'm really grateful that you're bringing that up today. So I'm curious what uh, initiatives you're working on now. I know that you said, uh, so you've, you ended up teaching it with uh, Orha Lev, which I'll, I'm going to give everybody the uh, link to follow her there. Um, you are doing this next project with uh, the Awakened Heart Project, which is just like a kind of like a sister uh, organization. And you are currently in California. Obviously, pandemic is like its own thing. But you are living in Israel now, in Jerusalem, yeah. I'm assuming. Um, and so tell me what's going on with, what are you, what are you up to these days? What are you, what are you working on? Yeah. So, um, after, after I taught in the schools in California, I taught mindfulness for, for three years, I started to think, and I was also working as a Jewish educator in a different job, a nature-based Jewish educator. And I started to feel like I wanted to start to bring that mindfulness in education work that I was doing into, into spaces of Jewish education, um, and I decided to take a year to, to, to go to Jerusalem and, uh, I took an arts fellowship. I'm also an art, I'm a painter and I took an arts fellowship at the Pardes Institute of Jewish studies in Jerusalem. Um, I wanted to turn to the Beit Josh. I wanted to study Torah. I wanted to think about my next steps and it, it was a good opportunity for that. Um, and what ended up happening is that Pardes has a whole, um, program around what they call which is disagreement for the sake of heaven and it's really skills for constructive conflict conflict resolution and they have a whole curriculum around it that um day schools in north america utilize and they were starting to get feedback from jewish schools in north america that they were really interested in uh, mindfulness and social emotional learning and some of these more experiential like neck down (laughs) skills um, for, you know, there, there's starting to be more and more of a need for that in, in educational spaces. And that's something that I feel very passionate about. And I was also saying that, and we were having conversations about it. And I ended up 
um, they ended up hiring me as like a social emotional learning consultant. And then that, that turned into a project that I'm currently working on with them. Uh, so right now I'm, we're actually right, we're creating a new curriculum at Pardes inspired by their pre-existing Machlochet Matters, they call it materials. And we're writing a new curriculum that's in, it's uh, integrating mindfulness uh, and skills for social emotional learning and intelligence with um, Jewish wisdom on conflict resolution wow. and how to have difficult conversations. Um, so that's something that I'm working on right now. And um, yeah, I'm also, I work for Orhalev and I teach with Orhalev as well and Awakened Heart Project. Um, about a year ago, I was just talking with a friend of mine, Sarah Brandis. Um, she yeah, used to yeah. direct Orhalev and, and, and I was like, we should have a women's meditation retreat. <laughs> uh, we were just talking about, you know, the, the really the need um, for more spaces uh, for women's voices to come forward and for non-male voices to come forward, just to create a little bit more balance. Um, and I, I'd never heard of a women's retreat happening, um, a Jewish meditation retreat for women. Apparently I found out later that I think 20 years ago, Shoshana Cooper did one, but, or, or Sheila Paltz Weinberg did one. Someone did do one, but it, it had been a really long time. And, um, so, I got some incredible faculty on board. I, uh, Rabbi Batsheva Mary, who lives in North Carolina, and yeah. yeah, and Sheila Katz, who has the Awakened Heart Project, um, and asked them if they would be interested in doing this with me, and asked Jeff if he would support it, and they were all really excited about it. Um, yeah, so was I so, when I heard Jeff. Told so were you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> what about me? <laughs> I know it sounds amazing. It was amazing. So we had this retreat uh, over Tisha B'Av last August called Nashim, a Jewish meditation retreat for women. Uh, it was about Sheva and Sheila and I were the teachers. So it was really, really sweetly intergenerational as well. And the women who came were all. It was a very intergenerational um, group of participants, which was a really beautiful part of it. Tell me um, how the how it being all women is uh, important, and what does that what does that add to the environment? I'm I'm pro, uh, I'm pro. I'm I, I like <laughs> I heard, let me let, let you know already. I love it. I love that you're doing it. I think it's very important for yeah. it to be done. And I'm curious from your eyes what that what is it? Uh, how does that help? Yeah, such an important question. Um, I've, I've seen a, a tremendous value in different kinds of affinity groups in general within communities. There's value in gathering with people who share certain aspects of your identity because in that sh shared experience, there can be room for uh, just a lot of connection and often a lot of uh, healing and a lot of um, strength you know, just in kind of being with people who are similar to you in certain ways, whether that's gender or sexual orientation or race or ethnicity or religion. Um, there's so much beauty and importance in gathering in very diverse communities and with people who are different than us in other ways. And then there's importance in gathering with people who are similar, who share similarities with our identities. And, um, I found in, so I'm a, I identify as a woman. And so I really value spaces for women. Um, 
we say on, on our retreat description, it's really self-identifying women. So we're, we're, we're welcoming of anyone who identifies themselves as a woman. And um, for me, I've experienced in an all woman space, there's just a certain degree of, maybe it's a sense of safety or just relaxation that can happen um, in a space that's all women that, that, that then really can allow for um, a certain, like a, a real blossoming of, of expression of like self-expression and exploration um, because of this just sense of, of like belonging and, and safety that, that we, that, that is felt there. Um, yeah, yeah. I and I imagine that that people of other genders in other gendered spaces might have a similar sense, yeah. you know. I think, there's so. just I think an, there's something special that can, that can happen. Yeah. yeah. Some sense of I don't know, sameness maybe. Even though there's always variety. If you've been hoping for something like this and you can see the style of teaching that Rebecca gives of really it's not that she's she's not just uh, asking you to kind of go into the darkest places in your in your work in your life she wants to help to teach you how to have fun how to how to make this interactive how to make it uh, embodied and not just in your head and if that's something that's interesting to you i really do encourage you maybe you can't make it this time um, but maybe you know somebody else who can make it and should really think about it and uh, you can you can always uh, give that as a resource to people. I think for me, it's important to also think about how we share, not just uh, what we take. Sort of like you described about becoming a teacher, when you find something you love and is great, then uh, you kind of want to you want to share it out. You want to teach it and and bring it out into to other people. And I think that that's for me why I'm doing this is because I've seen what benefit it brings to my life, and I want to help other people encounter it and find that sense of belonging from even within the uh, tradition our own traditions um so okay so that's great i love it i want to transition to q a first one what do you feel are the five basic tools for meditation for kids um and then a follow-up question of and how would you give them over to kids and then the like body scanning or visualization etc Awesome question. <laughs> um, so the most foundational mindful skill for kids is definitely breathing, mindfulness of breathing. And depending on the age of the child, there are so many ways to get creative about how to pay attention to our breath. Um, and kids also love to make them up. So, you know, you could do bubble breath where you like breathe in and make a bubble and breathe out and make a bubble on the way down. Or I like to do like a slow motion I would call it slow motion elevator breath or something like that. You like kind of go up in an elevator, really slow breathing in and really slow bring the elevator back down, you know, and you can really challenge them to focus on it for five breaths or 10 breaths. My very favorite one, my very favorite tool for mindfulness with kids is called starfish breath or five finger breath. And the way it works is you, you can do it with your hand and you can put your pointer finger on your thumb and you're just gonna breathe in as you go up your thumb, breathe out and go down, breathing in and out, then in and out. So 
this one's really wonderful because it's so tactile. You can feel your finger on your hand as you're breathing and you can do both hands. So that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. So mindful breathing, really important skill. Um, mindful listening is a great mindful skill, paying attention to the sounds that are around you. You can name 10 sounds, you know, see like next time you're outside with your child, maybe like, what are 10 sounds that we can hear right now? Or what's the sound that's the furthest away? What's the sound that's the closest? What's the loudest sound? What's the quietest sound? So mindful listening is helping us to pay attention to what is present. Um, heartful what what we called in in my job with the mindful life project in the schools we call it heart heartfulness um often a word used in secular settings teaching mindfulness for like loving kindness practice that's just a practice of extending well wishes to ourselves and to others um and with kids you could do it with hand motions you know like um may i be strong you know may i be kind to myself and to other <laughs> things like that um yes for five so breathing listening heartfulness or loving kindness Lips, listening also if you're doing it in a jewish context you could always do it with the shema saying the shema is great with kids um mindful movement so yoga or dance practices um and um what else Yeah, body scan's a really good one. Mindfulness of the body. Um, <laughs> You've given, you're like, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there are books on them, right? There's there. a lot. I, I do want to say about. about the mindfulness for kids stuff. I, I have a lot of, I've created a lot of resources. So anyone who's watching, you're really welcome to find me online, rebeccaschlissler.com. You can shoot me an email. Sometimes I do webinars. I've done webinars for educators and parents on different skills and tools for working with kids and uh, welcome to reach out and I'm happy to share more. Yeah. There's also some amazing books, children's books. There you go. So, so yeah, there's a bunch of resources. Thank you, Rebecca, for teaching us. I like the one, the starfish one. I'm like, that's a really yeah, good one. Nice. I like, I like that sensation even just doing it for myself um yeah so i guess we got a few questions so one of them is a, d- a little bit of a deeper question and there's another question that i think got resolved so let's go to the deeper one before we sign off no no big deal but uh <laughs> i would love if you shared more about how you bring god into your meditation and how you see the difference between connecting god to meditation and not yeah so i think it depends on my, my question always, or my response generally always with, with God questions and, and God conversations is what are we talking about when we use this word God? And I think it's a question that often gets overlooked because I, I think personally that every individual person has a unique um, meaning of that word. Like, what does that word actually mean? Um, and so for me, God is the thing I can't describe, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing that really transcends all meaning and description. Um, and it has to do with everythingness, you know, and it has to do with the sense of life being sacred. It has to do with creator and creation. Uh, it has to do with a sense of belovedness and it's more than all of those things also. And I think meditation 
the practice of mindfulness helps me get quiet enough that I can just start to perceive my experience, my inner and my outer experience with more intimacy and with more clarity. And then I feel more connected to that experience, which ultimately is what I start to see, like part of that clarity is seeing how mysterious it all actually is and how beautiful and incomprehensibly intelligent, even when it's chaotic, it all is. And that experience of that beauty and that intelligence uh, creates in me a feeling of awe <laughs> and a feel a sense of connecting to something sacred. Um, I think it's really difficult. There, there's value in connecting to God as like creator or a parent or something that's kind of beyond us. There, there can be value in that. And there can also be a lot of difficulty in that, in trying to experience God as something other than me. And so something I think about is what does it mean to relate to this idea of God as something that is both deeply inside of me, like deeply within me and completely beyond me um, at once at the same time. Um, and I think mindfulness practice gives me a beautiful foundation of just present awareness to what is um, from which to contemplate <laughs> these huge questions um, and really listen, you know, Jonathan, Rabbi uh, Jonathan Sachs uh, of Blessed Memory, he said, Jewish spirituality is the art of listening. And I love that. Mm. And that's something that I, that's an invitation that I bring into my meditation practice. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So sweet. Yeah. We do a lot of talking. How much listening are we doing? We do. How good are we getting? <laughs> we do a lot of talking. <laughs> Some of us more than others. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's. I think it's interesting to just be able to listen and see what wisdom will come, right? And and just be patient enough to find it out. And uh, so I'm. I'm so happy to uh, have heard from you again to present. Uh, have you presented the community here? And I'm curious how people can reach you, um, if if they'd like to connect with you further uh, for any kind of work. Yeah, so I do offer one-on-one -on -one mindfulness coaching with people and also educators and organizations and sometimes um, teach little works on that, things like that. I also post teachings. I do a lot of writing. And so all of that is on my website. That's RebeccaSchistler.com. It's just my name, RebeccaSchistler.com. Okay, so uh, I want to leave today uh, with, a, with a prayer. Uh, if you don't mind. So uh, if you would like to lead us, please, in a prayer for our time, for uh, what you hope that uh, can come of this and uh, in our continuation as we keep growing on this path together. Mm. I'd love to. Thank you so much. Mm. May all of our learning and exploration and practicing and seeking and searching uh, be of deep benefit to us all in our own lives, in our relationships to our loved ones, to our communities and to the world, and really aid us in um, finding our own pathways to contributing to 
the tikkun alam, the repair and the healing and the, the, the making whole that is so dearly needed in our world. Um, and may we, may our hearts grow capacity to hold whatever comes our way. And may we experience greater well-being, uh, more joy, more ease, more beauty, more awareness in our lives. And may all of that be for the benefit of all beings uh, and have far-reaching ripples. Amen. Amen. So let's take a moment, just a minute to to be in silence together and I'll ring a bell and uh, we'll smile and wave goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Ariel. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. To stay updated on new episodes, subscribe on iTunes or follow on Facebook.com slash Rabbi Shulk. That's Rabbi Shulk, R-A-B-B-I-S-H-O-L-K. Hey, so if you're really serious about this, come on down to ravariel.com. That's www.ravariel.com. Take our free trial, do the self-learn path, or try group coaching, or even come apply to work with me one-on-one. And you'll give yourself the accountability and the support and the step-by-step path that you need to feel calmer, more mindful, and happier with your life. So come on down, www.ravariel.com. See you there.